0: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money.
1: I'm Faisal Carmelli and my co-host here, Dave Popovich, both of us wearing sweaters and it's not that cold outside.
0: It's been beautiful, right? I'm happy to say I missed that entire cold snap with six days in Mexico. I
1: do not like you. Dave was away in Mexico with that snap that we received. He was in positive 35 degree weather. (laughs) We were in minus 100 here in Calgary. Um, So a big difference. Speaking of big differences, mm-hmm. there's been a change. I'm going to use the terminology in our industry a two handle. Oh. A two handle in inflation rate, which means 2% something. 2.9% core inflation rate number comes out in the United States. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Are we there? Can they start cutting interest rates? Is it a Goldilocks scenario, right? That's going to be the I'm question. I'm getting tired of that statement. Why? Because they're. People talk about Goldilocks as if it was one or the other of I in mean, choices. Too hot, too cold. What did Goldilocks do at the very end? I don't know. She found the, the, the right fit, the right the right temperature. It was just right. Everybody talks about the extremes of Goldilocks' story. Well, the others. The solution was that she found the right one. The balance doesn't sell too small. Not good headlines. Can we stop using Goldilocks? No, I like that term. (laughs) I think this is just exactly what the Fed has been talking about. Surprise, surprise. We are now at a point that we're below 3%. Right. The market. And trending down. And trending down. You know, it wasn't too long ago, we were at 8%. And now we're at 2.9% and trending down. The question that comes up now is, do they start cutting interest rates in the U S and what do they do in Canada? You and I were sitting down. We actually put a video together to speak to our clients about what's going to happen in Canada. And, and outside of that video, you and I were talking about what's happened in the States. Here's my take. And I want your thoughts on this one with the interest rates where they are in the united states i do not feel with the current data that the federal reserve is going to cut interest rates in march maybe and just maybe may i don't think so but maybe may given with the current data i think the issue now is how hard is it going to get from 2.9 mm-hmm. to two point something lower two and a half closer to two if they go too early and cut and this inflation comes back up is a bigger risk to credibility than coming late to the game on it after they can wait and wait as long as they got a two handle. Right. So this is where I think that the, the U S federal reserve is at when you look at the bank of Canada, whoa, it's completely different in my books. The per per capita spending or spending per person is actually lower than it was in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so if we're spending that much less in this country, in Canada, I think we're going to get really aggressive in the second half for interest rates.
0: Because you think the economy
1: is actually sl- more it's slowing faster than what the data right now shows. The trajectory of the numbers will show itself <clears throat> faster in Canada on the downside right. than in the United States, which would then make the Bank of Canada cut faster now a lot of the pundits or peers in our industry are suggesting that Canada will wait for the U.S. to cut first then they will cut I don't know about that one
0: so so all, all really good points um, maybe the question we should be asking is does it matter now of course it matters in the big picture what I'm really getting at is uh I think people sometimes forget we always talk about the crystal ball, right? Mm-hmm. The crystal ball not being clear in you know our world. And, and when we say that, it's just, it's a euphemism or, if it, you know, it's an easy way to say to people that it's very difficult to have GPS coordinates in our business. It's a compass, right? And I think what we have to do is we have to have a compass that says, are we moving North, South, East, or West? So question, are interest rates this year trending Higher, lower, or are they staying flat? Ask yourself that big question, right? Okay. Okay. And I think, other than the impact on short-term volatility, and and people freak out about that, Faisal, but your thoughts on this, I think if directionally we are to say that we are at peak interest rates and, and interest rates are going down, probably by the end of the year, it's less relevant to whether it went down in March, May, or June than it is directionally they went down and by how much, right? So I think- that we need to, um, when, we're, when we're planning and having these conversations and people in general, need to start asking that compass question, not the GPS question.
1: The impact of what we've just been talking about to the average person going through retirement is as follows. I think one of the biggest impacts were, oh my God, finally, interest rates are as high as they are, 5%, let's right. put that number out there. Yeah, It's not gonna be 5% for long. Right. It's trending down, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is going down in interest rates. So when you're hoarding cash in a savings account, right. and I'm using the word hoarding, right. meaning anybody who's just parking money, that doesn't need that money for a, a time-specific reason greater than three years, right. okay? Let's just kind of define that. There's people who, bought, who jumped into GICs. You speak to bond fund managers, Throughout North America, and they were saying their biggest competitor in 2023 was the short-term GIC or bond market yep. that took money away from active managed bond managers. And these individuals just parked money because that was the best right. case. They were wrong. The, the investors should not have just parked money for the one year. Right. They should have invested in the bond market. Right. At least with our strategy, when we saw you know an eight percent rate of return in the bond portfolio, yeah. that's that's a it's a nice number to have right. comparisons to what cash was or what a GIC was, but GICs are gonna be coming up for maturity in the next six months. Right, Quite a bit of it. There's a lot of money in what's called high interest savings account, quite a bit of it. And now we have that risk that people didn't calculate when they got in and that's reinvestment risk. Here comes the problem, where do you go after you've seen a nice return in the stock market, a nice return in the bond market, and you have cash that you're deploying back into something. Right. Where do you put this capital? And we can talk about it's all about your plan. Think long term. We know most Canadians don't think about investing over the long term. Correct. They think calendar year by calendar year, yeah. or at any point in time, they want to look at their statement. Yeah. Okay. So now, Dave, the question I have for you you've got this money in high interest savings account or your GIC matured having this entire economic backdrop, knowing that interest rates are trending down most likely, where do you put your money?
0: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that, uh, to your point, the risk that most people face is this idea of recency risk, right? I've been beat up shell shocked. I mean, 2022 20, is a tough year on a lot of people and they're stuck. They're frozen right now. You look forward, given the forecast, if that, if that is your forecast, you believe interest rates are trending lower. Well, the implication on cash is it's no longer going to be king because your, your cash interest rate is going to follow the Bank of Canada down. Yep. Okay, so rates are falling there. Well, when rates fall, there's implications on other asset classes. Let's not talk about the alternatives. Let's just talk about the traditional asset classes, right? Remember in 2022 when rates were going up, bond prices were falling. Well, guess what happens? In general terms, when interest rates come down, bond prices tend to appreciate. So that's an area you might want to explore if you've got cash sitting on the sides for something other than, as you said, liability matching a a short-term liability. And it has implications, of course, on the economy, right? As borrowing costs come down, disposable Mm -hmm. income goes up, all Mm -hmm. of those things. And what does that impact? Well, that impacts company profits, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, it's important, again, from a GPS and a compass perspective to pick your direction. Okay, perhaps don't try to be so specific that on this day, something's going to happen that generally doesn't work out. Correct. Right? And then ask yourself the question, which asset classes on these broad terms make sense?
1: You've you've led with the bond market. I'm going to lead with the stock market. Here's a, a reason why some people who've got long-term money, greater than five years, they've put in cash or GICs that are coming up, that they can do something with it. I think the conversation about fundamental price to earnings ratio has a big risk. If you just measure it on that, the market's expensive. I shouldn't be putting my money in now. You and I argue all the time. Oh about my this, God. Yeah. I, I, this is <clears throat> price to earnings ratio does not tell you where the market is heading. Ask anybody who bought Amazon as an example, 10 years ago, what the price to earnings was and look at that stock right. or Apple. Right. Look at that stock. The reason why I mentioned those two companies, because they are super growth companies. So isn't that the idea that as interest rates fall, it becomes cheaper capital, the good quality growth companies will continue to grow at a faster clip than it's competition. There's the opportunity. Uh, You know, Faisal, the success
0: in retirement, success in life in general, it's not really just about the money, is it? It's about the way you think because where you think is it's the direction you're going to go
1: so we're we're gonna meet an author of a book and part what well, there's a line in in the book that I read that I think has stuck with me ever since I put that book down. Uh, life is like you know you, you're you're on a hunt for an Easter egg and I'm paraphrasing here and you go through life and you find out that Easter egg has been in your pocket the whole time and I think that's a very interesting analogy of what life really is. It feels like we're on this hunt for something, right? We find out it's in our own pocket. It's about us. It's within us. And so I think when we, when we deal with all the things going forward, no matter if it's political, geopolitical, economic, or any other fears, everything's external and how you react to it has a lot to do with what's internal within you. So it's really stuck with me with this book. So I thought, let's bring this, this great Southerner coming out with this fantastic book, Uh, The book is called Flip Your Thinking to Ignite Your World, and we've got life coach, speaker, and author of the book, Rob Cross. Rob, thank you for joining us today.
2: Hey, guys. Faisal, what a great intro. I tell you, that's one of my favorite, too, the Easter egg analogy. We've all been on a hunt for happiness, right? That's really what we want. Some of us think it's money, but it's it's happiness, right?
0: Rob, let's go Let's go to that particular point um, and the sort of the idea behind the book. Give us a little background about why you wrote this book, why it was, first of all, a passion of yours, and then we'll get into some of the, the thought
2: processes. I wrote it because life was not working according to my plans. I know you guys have probably never heard of that in Canada. <laughs> but can you imagine? People weren't doing what I thought they should do, right? My marriage wasn't going according to my plans. My businesses weren't going... Ac- according to my plans and it just hit me one day and it hit me hard because I was really having a tough time struggling with why I couldn't make things work the way I wanted them and I got it I got it it really hit me that it really is it truly is my thinking it's it's what I've made things mean Uh, I mean this book takes you to better business better money better life better marriage better better joy it makes you a better lover believe it or not because it covers things. Well, it takes you back to common sense. And that was my passion. I I discovered what I was discovering about my thinking and everything that happens to you guys today. And to me today, we're going to process it. And we're going to think about it. And we're going to make it mean what it means. What I make it mean is how I'm going to engage with it. How I'm going to engage is going to give me the results I'm going to get in my life today, next week, next month, next year. It all starts with my thinking, and I'm so passionate about this because I love helping folks find what they're looking for, and I know what we're all looking for, and it's, it's back to common sense. <laughs> it's, it's a journey back to yourself is what this book does, and Faisal, you've seen enough of the book to you see that it's the easiest read you're going to ever read. It's very simple, it's very engaging, and it's very uh, entertaining.
1: It is a very simple book. You're Like you said, very easy to get through. Thirty-six <laughs> negative ideas come out of this book, offering practical alternatives that you have for each one of them. Give us a few examples, just to kind of wet our palate here before these people go rushing to pick up this copy of the book.
2: <laughs> well, uh, okay. Uh, imperfection is sexy. Pain, that's gain. We, we avoid pain like a like a cat avoids a bathtub full of water. Who wants pain? We don't want pain. But how many times have you grown where you didn't have grow out of some sort of tragedy or uh, mishap or challenge? We need pain just to, to advance. What is life other than advance? Your enemies, they're your teachers. Uh, hey, if you want to be heard, talk less. Your weakness, that's your strength forgiveness that's a big one i tell you forgiveness how many of us are carrying a grudge right and it's like a it's like a cinder block around our ankle i'm not going to forgive that guy because he didn't deserve it right i mean he should have never done what he did well that grudge that i'm holding when i forgive him it sets me free not him it's flipping your thinking on everything virtually everything we're doing we're doing it upside down guys and and it's just so exciting to see that because when you flip it, then you suddenly have power. For instance, blame. Why aren't you where you want to be in life? Why don't you have as much money as you wanted to have? Why aren't you doing that business that you always wanted to do? Uh, Well, it's my lack of education. Well, it's my parents. It's my upbringing. It's my whatever it is that you're pinning it on is your blame. And what you're blaming and who you're blaming, you may as well give them a remote control to your life. And they've got their thumb on a pause button because you're giving away your power
1: let's t- let's throw this at you let's have a mini coaching session right here you're a coach as well um people are transitioning to and living in retirement let's talk about the people who are in retirement they're focusing on a couple of things one of course their lifestyle number two their investment portfolio now we have seen a lot of volatility over the last few years in the markets people get impacted by that When you're starting to see your portfolio go down and you have this negative reaction the my retirement's not going to be envisioned the way I want it to because of this external force called the stock market, how do you flip it in that case?
2: Coach me away. (laughs) I tell you what, no matter what's happening, whether it's money or marriage, doesn't matter. It's not about what happens to you. It's all about what happens in you and how you process what's going on. And I know you're thinking, well, it's more than thinking, Rob, come on. Your thoughts are that, yes, they are. They're that powerful. Your thoughts are that powerful. You know how it is when you've, when you, when you've received a negative bank balance note and suddenly you feel the stress, you feel that, well, you didn't have that 10 minutes ago before you got the, the note, right? <laughs> it was, it was a negative balance, but you, you were feeling fine. Suddenly your resources are drained. You're, you're feeling the upset. And the upset once again i'm upset only because life is not going to my according to my plans so here's my suggestion to you first of all we've got to really take control of our thoughts or our thoughts are going to control us and that's what's most everybody coming to me that's what's going on they're being controlled by their thoughts they're like a ship without it without a rudder without a keel. uh they're being tossed back and forth with a with the stock market with the portfolio uh, bad news, good news Guys, you've got to maintain your kill. You've got to recognize you can't control it. You can't control it. You can control this, and when you control this, you'll control that. You'll have a much better, much better power of controlling. If you don't go within, you'll go without. That's basically it.
0: I think that's uh, that's a really interesting point. And um, Rob, we've we've just got sort of a minute or so left here. Um, let's take that coaching one level deeper, if you can how do you gain control? So if there is a particular thought that's leading you astray, what are some of the exercises, some of the things a person can do? Because I agree with 100% with what you're saying, to get that
2: under control and change the result. Good question. Thank you. Uh, And it really isn't an exercise. It's really just paying attention. (laughs) Listen, the one thing we don't think about is what we think about. Would you agree? We just really don't think much about that. We think about our portfolio, but we don't think about what we think about. And that's everything. That's the cornerstone that everything we launch everything in our life. So my strong suggestion to you is look, just be smart. We've got a brain, God gave us a brain, he gave us this amazing ability to think. So think about our thoughts. And when you recognize when you, the more you recognize how your negative thinking, which there's 70% of our thinking is negative. When you recognize, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to lose weight, but I'm telling myself, uh, it's going to be hard. Well, boom, there you go. Or it's in my DNA or the, the economy won't let me do this. Boom. That stinking thinking is going to set your course to where you don't want to go. I want you to go where you want to go and you have got to start with your thinking. So really it, it's not an exercise as much as just stopping, being still, getting rid of the chatter and recognizing, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a thought that I just had that I never realized I have. We don't even realize the thoughts we're having guys. Until we stop and we recognize them, and what they're doing to us, it's like a train on a track. That no matter how big it is, it's going to stay on the track. No matter how grandiose your plans are for retirement, <laughs> you're not going to go any further than where your thinking is going to allow you. And it, it, you've got to recognize that.
1: Yeah. And that's a key thing, Rob. We're running out of time. Head to Amazon, everyone. Go pick up the book, Flip Your Thinking to Ignite Your World by Rob Cross. Cross, if you're right looking on. for the proper spelling of that, on Amazon.ca, available now. Pick it up, uh, and thank you, Rob, for joining us today.
2: God bless your listeners, and remember, everything you're more capable than you think you are. God bless you guys. Um, having kids, you think
0: once you maybe get them out of the house, maybe the cost of having children, you've done
1: your bit, right? You're moving on. Well, that may
0: not be the case, Faisal. That
1: may not be the case. And let me give a bit of background on the guests that we're having here. Um, when you start building information and you you're a finance uh, columnist uh, on a, on a, on a company like the globe and mail mm-hmm. You just don't do it willy nilly. The, the amount of background research surveys that go on with this gentleman, not only on this topic, but other topics. I've seen it all across the place. He's actually getting that information himself. Mm-hmm. He's building up on this and he's actually putting this together. So this is not like he's just anecdotal information. Right. When we talk about dealing with parents, children, adult children. You know, you, they, I call them the boomerang. They leave, they come back. All these different things that come up. We've got Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist from The Globe and Mail on the show today. Rob, thank you for joining us. Glad to do it.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you did survey a whole bunch of parents here, or parents were surveyed. 1,000
1: uh, people. Let's just say a whole bunch. 1,000 no, yeah. parents yeah. here. Uh, and a lot of those parents were, uh, not
0: surprisingly, Rob, helping uh, their adult children, and in particular, around housing and housing-related costs. So let's talk a little bit, from, just from a high-level summary, what did you discover, first of all, and were there any surprises?
3: So what I discovered was that 40% of the people, and it's about 1,100 people in the survey, 40% said that they were supporting, in some way, financially, their kids who had already bought a house. We're not talking about the parents who gave their kids money for down payments. That's old news. Happened a lot, billions of dollars. but. The kids got the house. Now what? Well, like I say, four in 10 of this, of this 1100 person group said they are helping. And about 25% said they're giving their kids money to help with a mortgage renewal, buy down the balance so that, they, so that the mortgage is lower. Others are helping with, um, with home renovations. They're helping with the property taxes. They're helping with um, uh, improvements to the home basically they're, they're, they're like a backstop. Like they, they see their kids struggling and they're coming up with cash. It's like, okay, we did the down payment. Now we see more help as needed. And I I find this really interesting because I think, I think it's well understood that a lot of parents want to and where they can, they will help their kids with down payments, but what are you getting your kid into when they own a home? Well, it's a big spend fast and they're having to re up.
1: Why do you think parents are doing this? Like, what's the reason? And then I'll go back to when I was mm-hmm. a first time home buyer and I had to have some costs A, I would never ask my parents, maybe because I was just in fear of asking that I could. I need help. Uh, The second part of it is I've always had my father's voice in the back of my head, my headset saying, if you're going to get into this, it's on you, figure it out yourself. That's kind of changed, at least in my life. Um, Why do you think parents are actually helping just maintain the home, keep things going, help with the renewal, stuff like that? You know, part of it
3: is different parenting, I think. Like parents are just more involved in everything their kids do. And obviously this involvement does not end when they leave the house, as you mentioned earlier. But I think another aspect is that parents kind of teamed up with their kids to get into the housing market. And it's like, let's do this together. It worked out so well for us. We've got to get you in there. And I think there may be some sense of responsibility. We got them in. Now we have to help them stay in. And uh, that's part of it, too.
0: Rob there was a uh, an interesting piece of the research and just reading from the article it says one third said that they were making compromises them being the parents they were making compromises to afford the financial help seven and a half percent said they were going into debt so maybe that speaks to what you've just said, maybe it's broader but but uh, talk maybe if you can speak to that particular uh, uh, point and that that impact that it's having on parents
3: well you know you have to wonder how much elasticity is there in the retirement finances uh, of of canadian adults in their 50s and 60s and 70s etc and it's not infinite and so we're seeing some parents having to having to compromise i mean i have heard someone i spoke to at a personal finance event i was speaking at told me that they're working longer so that they can make the money to help their kids get into the housing market so that's the kind of thing i'm talking about there Um, I think people are, um, maybe they're foregoing things. Maybe they're not, maybe they're doing one trip a year or no trips a year. Um, Going into debt, I'm guessing it's home equity equity lines of credit being used here. I think that number probably understates how often HELOCs are being used by parents to help kids. Um, I just, I think that um, there's this parental feeling like i my kids must own a home and it must go well for them. And I mean, like, you you know, I mean, I think previous generations and, you know, we struggled with, with our housing costs and we delayed upkeep and we sacrificed things at certain points. And now there's a sense that I don't want my kids to have to do that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's money that can be deployed in any number of ways and it's being deployed to help kids get into the housing market. And then afterwards as well, you know, I'm wondering How long until we start hearing about parents helping their kids retire? Um, You know, my kid wasn't able to save in an RSP or a TFSA to any meaningful extent. I'm going to give them X amount to put towards retirement. I mean, you know, if your parent's 95 and you see your 60-year-old kid is is not doing well or your 50-year-old kid is not doing well in the retirement front, you know what retirement costs. That, to me, is going to be the next frontier of parental help to their kids.
1: I think you've hit on something there because I can, anecdotally with our clients, can tell you our clients who are in their early 50s are already setting up and paying for tax-free savings accounts for their children, RSP contributions for their children. So anecdotally it's happening, at least in our practice, I see that right now. What I find interesting or would like to know more about, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, is what's the mindset? Can you imagine, Dave, now you've got two daughters uh, and let's say, let's fast forward into 30, 35 years of age and they don't own a home. Mm -hmm. How does that make you feel? I feel okay. Okay. I don't know if everybody agrees with the way you feel. I think they might feel... Like they're not accomplishing raising their child in a certain way because their child is renting at 35 years of age. They don't have a a home. They have to, they've got a home that's kind of needs renovations. It doesn't look good. If it it doesn't look good on them, I mean the child, it doesn't look good on the parent. And that's possibly why they're feeding some of the money. Rob, what are your thoughts about my thesis on this one?
3: I think you are. Definitely onto something. There's just no question about it. That um, um, it's it's appearances, but it's also that emotional feeling that I don't want my kids to not do as well as I did. I want them to do better than I did, and I'm going to like I'm going to help them out financially to make that happen. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of parents feeling each other out with in discussions uh, about what they're doing to help their kids. I've been involved in a few of them. I have two sons, one's 29, one's 26. And, you know, we talk about what are you doing to help your kids? Um, like, you know, not just with housing, but affording the affording everyday life and that sort of thing where they, where they need help. And um, I think, you know, so I think it's appearances, but it's also sort of that emotional feeling, you know, like if, if, if my kids need a lift and I can afford it, I'm gonna do it. And I think in previous generations, you would have just, a parent would have just looked and there would have been more distance and you would have said, oh, they're struggling now. I hope things turn around and, you know, and I'll give you any support I can, but I'm not going to, like, pay your property taxes or, like, give you, you know, $50,000 to pay down your mortgage balance so your payments after renewal are much more affordable. I think that didn't happen a lot.
0: Okay, Rob, thanks very much. Uh, we're going to have to shut off. We're running out of time there. Um, this is a topic we're not done talking about by any stretch of the imagination. And we, uh, we appreciate all of the the insights and the work that you do. So thank you for, uh, keep up the good work. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Great chat, guys. I'm glad to do it.
0: been joined by Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at the Globe and Mail. You know, I think when you asked me about that particular point, Faisal, what came to mind is, um, I think my responsibility as a parent is to educate them about how to be good adults, right? And guess what? Being a good adult is, is understanding total cost of ownership of something like a house. If you're going to get into this, my job would be, okay, let's sit down yeah. and I'm going to go through and map out all of the different things you're going to have to be prepared for. So they know going in, right. And they don't bite off more than they can chew. I tell you, when I started buying, I remember my first condominium was 52,000 bucks. I freaking out like, Oh yeah. my God. Cause I knew it wasn't 52,000 is was, I had to buy furniture yeah. and I had all these ongoing costs and maintenance and so on and so forth. Right. Yep. Cause my dad okay. sat me
1: down and said, okay, son. Here's what this looks like. So you had the finance conversation yeah. in advance of the purchase. Right. I don't think that happens a lot. I don't think so either. And I think that's the message that maybe
0: people should take away from this. I, if you can help, help. I mean, I'm not judging anybody for what they do, but the educa- education of your kids along those lines is the most important. So we recently hosted our first of the year seminars uh, to a packed house. Um, and it was really interesting uh, because last year was a pretty good year in, uh, for portfolios. Mm-hmm. And what I found particularly interesting about the conversation in, with that group of people, a uh, large group of people, had very little to do with portfolio returns, per se. It had to do with everything else. It had to do with the implication of taxes or uh, inappropriate investments because of American citizenship or uh, OAS clawbacks. Or I mean, it went on and on and on. And I found that really interesting. Yeah. That that the, the focus was on the broader idea of wealth management and all the complexities beyond just stocks and bonds.
1: And I think you've nailed it when you said the complexity, I think when people th- look at their retirement, when they're heading into retirement or they just take a quick snapshot yeah. and let's make up some, some numbers. So it kind of makes it hit home for a lot of people. Let's say you did a million dollars. You have a million dollars of investments. You need $60,000 a year to come from your investments, to support your lifestyle. Just give me a six percent return, I'm done. Right. That's all I need. Just and so then you get your six percent return, let's say in 2023. Hey, we hit target. Congratulations. And then you get your tax bill come no, 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 hang on. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Then you get your tax bill yeah. come April. Yeah. And then you're like, well, how come no one told me about my tax situation? All right. And then how come, how come I have no idea how to plan for this? Or how come my old age security is being clawed back? Or how come I'm a US citizen? and I have a TFSA, or I have investments that are considered no-no right. for the U.S. government. Canadian Trust, yeah. Right? All these different issues start coming up. Right. How come no one's planning the big picture? Because the only thing that you've been planning on is that rate of return. Right. And it speaks to, you know, this is... It was, it was a fun
0: conversation to have because you and I have been preaching for 15 years, right? Why do you think we call this sh- more than money, the show more than money? Yeah. It's because retirement and the complexity of that time of life speaks to more than just, you know, having a portfolio that grows over time, which is what people want when you're 30 and 40. I get it, right? That's, mm-hmm. We talk about that, but they're no longer 30 and 40, right? You're moving into retirement. You need income. Nobody lives on pre-tax. You live on after-tax. These things all have a massive impact on the success And the outcome of the portfolio. Very
1: very few people talk to us for a second opinion or just a quick look at their portfolio or just like a litmus test to see if they're okay and and say, I've covered all these topics. I've covered income, Mm -hmm. tax-efficient, sustainable, predictable income. I've covered growth in my port, my assets so that I can offset long-term inflation and meet unexpected extraordinary expenses.
0: Add risk to that. Don't don't move on until you add uh, risk.
1: And and in a in a risk adjusted basis. Yes. Thank you. I've handled my healthcare costs in the future that I have no idea what the heck it's going to be, right. but I've had some sort of plan around it. And when I'm done, my assets will be transferred over to the people I care about or charities I want to support. And I've done that in the most tax efficient way and to the, to the wishes that I want to give. Very few people have all those four areas. We call them the buckets covered. So when they sit down in front of us and they go, Hey, look at my portfolio. It's done six, 7% or whatever the number is for their target. But I have all these other problems. How come no one's talking to me about their problem? And the answer to that question is because you weren't dealing with a specialist, right? Dealing with an investment manager at best, right? If you're going to go to the pharmacy, you're going to get a lot of over-the-counter medication. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what the prescription is, you're in trouble. You're going to pick a secondary product. You're going to pick a Tylenol, an aspirin, an Advil, and that may not be the solution to the bigger problem. But but add into that analogy that you may be on more than
0: one medication. Those medications may compete against each other. Well,
1: how many stories like that have
0: yeah, you Exactly. And, and it's the same thing, right? We talk about the goals change in retirement. Why does it get more complex? Simply gets more complex because you have multiple goals you're trying to achieve. It's no longer the singular goal of growth. And often those goals will compete against each other. And if you aren't thinking about the, the big picture and those interactions between those drugs, then
1: you can have a problem. And so this is the point in time why we call it the most vulnerable stage of a person's financial life. This is the point in time where you've got a whole bunch of goals that are sometimes competing with each other. And when you have that situation and you don't have, I'll use the word, chief financial officer of the family, then you are going to experience the side effect of the one type of medication that you've been taking to help you get through retirement That's right. when it comes to your investment portfolio. And the side effect of just having a good portfolio is it may not be tax efficient. You may have issues about healthcare that you don't you haven't accounted for. You, you might be taking on too more too much risk to get that rate of return, yeah. so on and so forth. There's a whole bunch of side effects to the recommendation of just having a good performance in the portfolio. So here's my prediction okay. for 2024 a lot of our peers in the industry are going to announce their 10-year returns. And I'm already seeing this flood my inbox when it comes to mutual fund companies and, and and likes like that. Here's our 10 year performance. Look at the numbers and to their credit, they've done well. And to their credit or to their defense, they're not required to show more than just rates of return over certain periods of time. Mm -hmm year-to-date, 1, 10-year numbers. That's all they're required to do. What will be nice to see is how much risk do you have to be willing to accept in order to get that rate of return. Right. And I think that's going to be the biggest problem in 2024 is bragging rights on performance without disclosure of volatility. Now, when I say disclosure, sure, they're going to have the small print at the bottom. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. You know, consult with your own financial advisor, volatility and risk and loss. They're going to have those disclaimers. But they're not going to tell you what the risk was over the time, the highs, the lows. There's one thing we put in our presentation for those people who attended at that seminar. And I think we should continue doing this. We, we put up on a screen a portfolio A versus B. And we say, rate of return of portfolio A is 1% to 2% better. Let's say 11% versus 10%. And I'm making up these numbers. And we asked people to write down what they'd pick. And they all generally picked the higher rate of return. Of course. No one said, whoa, whoa, whoa what's the risk? Right. No one yet has ever asked us that. No one put up their hand and said, wait, wait, before I answer this question that you're asking me, what's the risk that I'm going to be taking to get that rate of return? Right. Because they're all focused on rate of return. But what if you have to take on 25% volatility just to get that 11% rate of return? Right. So if you had a million dollars, you have to accept a drop of $250,000. How does At that some feel? point, yeah. How does that feel? Right. Can you handle that?
0: Now, you're you're... Um, what you've talked about, again, is the performance of the portfolio. But let's go back to the analogy you used uh, for pharmaceuticals. You've seen one of those ads where they say, hey, this may lead to, you know, all these bad side effects. You might grow a third yeah. eye in the back of your yeah. head if you're risk allergic to this. Risk is one side effect. Right. But forget about just portfolio because it's that's risk. Can that? Carry then on. Then expand beyond that to your 100%. family, right? This portfolio, they
1: don't say, this portfolio may lead to an OAS clawback. They don't say that. Or higher taxes. Or higher taxes. <laughs> or or. Or or inefficiency in regards to withdrawal in the event of a healthcare issue. It's not just about the portfolio, hence why we call this show More Than Money. It's more than just the investment side. So I think we can learn from this. Mark my words for my prediction for 2024. Watch how risk will not be the conversation. It'll just be return. And in the results, whatever you're investing in, there's side effects. Know your side effects. Know your side effects. And those side effects will not only be a financial part of it, It can be other parts of your life that can have the side effect for having the prescription of that good rate of return of a portfolio. Right on. Let's talk about that further at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, March 5th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. Now, you need to reserve your seats because we are filling up fast on this one. So, reserve your seats for March 5th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: Okay, I want to thank you on behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, uh, for joining us for this segment. Any of our past segments can be found on morethanmoneyradio.com. Go there to check them all out or to re-listen to this one. We look forward to chatting with you next week. You're on QR Calgary and More Than Money.